Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Coleman Had a Dream podcast. I am Di. As always, I am joined by Ruth. How are you doing, Ruth? You always die. Is that what we're saying? Is that what I said? <laughs> it's just the way it sounded. No, it's fine. It's fine. Oh, it's God. Okay. The, uh, the, the Joe Allen news. Coleman, how are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. The Joe Allen news has obviously shaken me to the point of existential crisis about who I am, um, which is uh, which is a concern. Strong start to the podcast. Uh, yes, we are going to be talking to you about uh, Joe Allen today, who's who's uh, who's announced his retirement. We've got a few other things to be talking about as well, including the potential, well, not the potential, the friendly against Gibraltar. We're going to be talking about the new way that UEFA has shambolically organised um, qualifiers after 2024 and a host of other tidbits um how's things ruth are you all right good yeah yeah we're uh starting to feel like we're coming out the worst of the winter here which might be a sort of false i suspect it's a false dawn but it's uh it's good to see good to see things greening up a little bit we're doing well here what about you yeah not too bad thanks not too bad super busy few weeks but uh it's, it's all the football is starting to come back again international wise which is uh, great we've got the women's games coming up uh, next week we've obviously got the talk of this Gibraltar game the, the location for the Turkey game has been announced they've talked about how many tickets are going on sale for Croatia today so that's been the cause of much uh, much conversation in my uh, Wales away WhatsApp group so yeah it's good it's good that Welsh football is uh, is coming back in many different guises um we're going to start today oh before I start I just wanted to do some brief admin first of all uh if you like this and support us, please make sure you follow us on all of the different channels that you can. Obviously, you've, you've got us on the podcast, but make sure you join us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. We're on a little bit of everything. Um, also, support us, please, at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Coleman's Dream. Um, you can make a little uh, donation to support us. It keeps this podcast free. So please come along, do that. Have a look at ColemanHadADream.com where we have got a plethora of different articles, poetry. Uh, you can also find all our podcasts there as well. And also, please support us by going to bagsybags.com. Uh, there you can use the code CHAD10 to have 10% off anything at the bagsybags.com store. So please go ahead and support us. Um, buy something from someone local in the Ronda and in doing so, support us and keep this podcast free. So please do that. Go to bagsybags.com, use the code CHAD10. And equally, please go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Coleman Stream and support us on there. Every little donation helps uh, and keeps us free, which is very much the aim. So... With a little bit of admin done, Ruth, we have heard today the news that Joe Allen has retired from international football. Um, obviously, lots of, 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 of things to discuss from that. My main one is, of course, the fact that I saw this announcement at about five o'clock uh, and we are due to start recording at six o'clock and we had done a shitload of research for other stuff. And I would have much preferred Joe Allen to have done that this morning so I could have had the day uh, to prepare some better chat. Um, but other than that, how are you feeling about the news? Well, I found out about 15 minutes ago. <laughs> so I'm, I'm definitely still processing. Um, bit of a surprise, to be honest. Um, with Page saying that he wasn't expecting, you know, a plethora of retirements, I think I thought that we would have Ramsey and Allen at least continuing for a bit longer. You know, we'll, we'll get into what role that may have played out at another time. But I'm, I'm surprised that uh, the timing... Um, in the sense that it, I suspect this might be a bit of a surprise to Paige as well. Um, 
that aside, obviously, I think he, I think he's one of those players that is incredibly appreciated by those of us in the wall, the red wall, and incredibly underappreciated elsewhere. Um, I think he was at times as instrumental as Balaam Ramsey was having the kind of public face impact that they did. Uh, but I mean, what a player, what a player, just a joy to, to see him and see, see his joy in playing for Wales as well. One of my favourite memories is actually after we qualified for Euro 20 of him running across the field and jumping into Owen Tiddy Jones's arms <laughs> and talk yeah. about a little enlarge going on there. And that it was, it was just the, the kind of the joy between the two of them just summed everything up for me. I, I, I just love watching him play. I think we were very blessed to have him as part of this generation. I agree. I mean, I, I feel like to an extent he's almost underrated, probably not by, well, definitely not by Wales fans, but I think there may even be an extent to the to, to how he is underrated by Wales fans in, in that his importance for us is is impossible to understate. And I think that, that game against the Republic of Ireland where he basically got battered until he was forced off through injury says a lot about what they thought of him but also what how him you know how that game unfolded afterwards I think he very often did little things really really well and and, and took games by the scruff of the neck and, and just dealt with things was very quick on the ball and um, very decisive with his passing and covered ground well and was you know a, a very uh bulldoggy type player if that's the right word you know all we talk about is passing ability but he's very tenacious and really got stuck into things and I think if you take him out of that midfield uh, in that kind of golden period if you like for us I think it's it all looks very very different I think he's that crucial I remember as I was kind of thinking about this when we were looking back at that campaign that a lot of the things that we talked about were not having Alan Ramsey and Bale on the pitch together at the same time and and, and and it really showed Alan's ram uh, Alan's absence in that period how effective he was and how important he was to us. So I think you can't understate just how just how quality he was. Is there is there any other on pitch moments? I know we've talked about the uh, that, that that moment there at the end of the twenty twenty game, but is there any other thing that kind of really stands out to you performance wise about Joe? I think my favourite memory is actually that feed of his for Ramsey's goal in. Euro 16 I think, uh, against Russia, I think. Yeah, it must have been yeah, against Russia. Against Russia yeah. um, because we were playing so beautifully that that game, and I, I think it showed it showed his um, his sort of impact in an attacking sense. I think we were. I think there are myriad moments we can pick out where we see him being a defensive midfielder. I love the fact that he got to show off sort of playmaking skills a little bit in that play and. Um, and obviously that was reflected in him being part of the team of the tournament for that for, for that particular summer. And uh, I'd, yeah, that's, I think that's my favourite single play. Um, there's, a, you know, there's, there's other, other plays that perhaps show his modus operandi more. Um, the, like you say, the way he could read a game, the way he could fill space, the way he could predict what was going on, which are which are harder to pick out as individual highlights, but are probably much more reflective of what he contributed. 
I agree. Chris, uh, in our WhatsApp group, Chris Price, who writes uh, excellently for us, mentioned uh, that that pass as well. And, and, and again, just a reflection of his quality. I think it's little moments like that that you can, that kind of stand out. They don't have to be the big key moment or the big goal or the, you know, the mazy run through three people or whatever. It was just the key things that he did well and, and made a real difference. I mean, that game for me, I think, was his best game in a Wales shirt. I, I just remember... You know, you and I watched that. They watched that game in my classroom uh, in Boston, Ruth, and and I just remember how how in control of the game we felt, and I think that was just yeah. from him. The speed of which he played the ball and moved them out of position, and I, I think equally that Slovakia game at the start of the Euros, the way he did those things so well there as well, where he did, you know, that was the that was the plan. Chris Coleman talks about it in that Together Stronger film was moving the team from side to side, getting the Slovakians out of their pockets and creating space and I don't know Ramsey was the one who utilized that in the end from that Joe Ledley pass but that that was he did that all game you know that retention of the ball and that the physical nature of him and he was just an outstanding an outstanding player and when he got his you know when he's got his found his foot around one that goal against Austria in the in the qualifiers in the out in Vienna was just an unbelievably good goal. And I think one of my favourite moments is his celebration after that. Like the look on his face. It's just like, bloody hell, I didn't know I could do that. Um, he, had this, he had this kind of like huge, like big grin and almost shock on his face. It was, it was a fantastic goal, but a fantastic moment as well. Just a, just a real quality player. There's one more thing I wanted to add um, before I bring you back in, Ruth, which is uh, Stephen Baker, who again is one of our excellent writers on ColemanHadADream.com, has said that he has a, an off-the-pitch moment, uh, similar to what you said, Ruth, about the, the, the moment with Owen Tudor-Jones. Um, he was uh, kind of stood on the side of the pitch um, and he was with, uh, Joe Allen was with Neil Taylor and Neil Ch- Taylor was kind of going around and saying hello to people and he went over to, to Stephen's nephew to have a little chat and Joe actually kind of walked past and said, I'm really sorry, I would love to stop and chat, but I've got to get into the dressing room. Um, And it would be so easy for him to walk past and just carry on. But instead, he felt the need to apologise to people that he couldn't stop. And I think just nice little things like that, nice little touches kind of show the measure of the man, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I think he's he's obviously a very, very private person. I don't know if you've seen the, the special on... I watched it on on Scoria's YouTube site, I think. I presume it's been on S4C, um, where I went to the Jones interviews Joe last summer. They're down on the Gower somewhere. And um, he, it's, he's just clearly... In fact, at one point, he says that if he could play... He, if he could have played sort of football incognito, that's what he would have opted for. He's clearly a very... Um, kind of private and quiet person. And I love the fact that there are those odd moments on the football field where that kind of, that drops away and he becomes a football player, as it were. And I, I, I like that contrast in his personality. I think he's just, he's just a good bloke. And I think we've, something we've touched on before as well, Dave, is that we've been fortunate that we haven't just had good players representing us. We've had good people representing us. And I yeah. think Joe is part of that crew as well. No, that's a very good point. Uh, I think that is highlighted no no further than that uh, the famous article with him holding his chickens on the front of uh, whatever magazine that was. Uh, something which I think I've saw, seen in that interview with Owen oh, Tudor-Jones. He says that's the thing he regrets most in his career because now it's all people ever talk to him about is the bloody chickens. Um, 
just going through some of the other things that we've had uh, tweeted to us. Sion uh, has mentioned to us, uh, he said it was my favourite player, a solid seven or eight every game and higher in many. The most important player, um, even including Bale and Ramsey, because he made us tick, turning us into a top quality international ball retaining team. There's a reason the Republic of Ireland tried to murder him twice. Uh, time for Levitt to step up. Um, I also like this one from Dewi Oshan, who says Xavi has a poster of Joe Allen on his bedroom wall, um, <laughs> which, uh, which I very much like. I think it's easy for us to say these things, that off, as it is with Bale and, 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 and this sort of thing, where we, where we can see how well he's done for us, and we know that, and maybe he's been underappreciated elsewhere. But I think no more so than UEFA recognising him in the UEFA team of the tournament for 2016. I think that's a, you know, that that's a that's a real sign. I think how how well the esteem he was held in. Yes, yeah. I mean, I I think, um, you know, to have two of our midfield players represented in that team, um, and I think, think we. Yeah, I think it goes back to what you were saying a moment ago. This idea that he he was the he was the tick that kept us going. I think he was definitely the glue in that team, wasn't he? He was he was the transition man. He was the the watcher, the organizer, the you know predictor. He did all of those roles, and and in that tournament in particular, did them did everything with a sort of grace and fluency that was at the top of his game and it was it was just a wonderful period to watch him I agree I agree I mean when you look at that team as well that they 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 picked as the team of the tournament Boateng Pepe Kimmich Cruz Griezmann Alan Ramsey Ronaldo you know he's he's amongst some decent company in that side which again I think shows uh, just how highly highly respected and rated he was I think all of this and I think we said something similar with Bale as well is that a lot of this is just how it makes you feel. And I think he was so obviously Welsh. And I, we talked about that identity in the last podcast. And I still don't entirely know what I, we really mean by that. But I think he was very Welsh as well. And I think he kind of embodied that normal bloke who, who liked playing football and was really bloody good at it. And, and, him, and he represented us on the pitch. He wasn't some guy earning shitloads of money and flashy cars or whatever else. Well, I'm sure he did have those things. But he, he, he never came across in that way. He just wanted to be a bloke playing football. Um and, and and I think that the that humanized him if, if that's the right thing and it, it made you feel a certain way about him as a consequence of that and I think that's something that all of these players have something uh, that have something for them is where they can make you feel a certain way and and I think that Joe Joe Allen made me feel a certain way about him and and about football and what it meant to be Welsh you know mm-hmm. no absolutely absolutely and I think that goes back to what we were saying before that it's not just about being represented by players, is it? It's being being represented by people that you can stand behind as well. And I think he's he's one of us. He's another of those players that falls into that category of being one of us. Um, and I think, and I think also it's a, it's a measure of him that, that the hole he's leaving behind as well. Um, as Sion mentioned in that message, mm-hmm. there time for Levitt to step up. It's interesting, really, because obviously Ramsey was someone we were going to mention a little bit further on, but I think it's important to mention him here now that his his importance. Um, is rising, isn't it? Because he's playing more and more for Nice. Nice are on a good little run at the minute as well. Um, I think it's important now that he steps up and is the the experienced man that that the, you know the main man almost in in camp all the time, and 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 he can help bring those youngsters through with him and alongside him. Yeah, it does put an interesting onus on Aaron, which um, 
I don't think I was quite expecting because I think I think we were assuming that Joe was still going to be around at least for these initial qualifiers. Um, you know, I think I think we can probably predict that Chris Gunter might not be in the next squad. You know, so suddenly there's a lot of, of experience being removed from the room, isn't there? And I think this does put an extra onus on on Aaron. Hopefully, at the minute, that's going to work out because he's he's like you said, he's having a good run at in Nice. He's they've won. I think it's well, they haven't lost in the last five. One yeah. four of them, I think. Um, creeping up the table, he's regularly playing somewhere between seventy and ninety minutes in all of these games. Um, and I do think that's an interesting, there was talk, wasn't there, at the turn of the year about whether he even wanted to go back to Nice, which I'm not even quite sure where that stemmed from, but there was certainly kind of social media talk. Um, and I think it's interesting that he actually seems to be quite a key cog in, in their in their resurgence at the minute. Um, so, I mean, hopefully that means we're going to see a, a, a fit and healthy and raring to go Ramsey come come late March. It's still you know quite a ways away, uh, but I do think it puts puts some weight on him that might be more than we were expected. Not saying he can't do it. He's a previous captain. Obviously, he was much much younger then. But you know, I think he's. I think there's more there's more maturity to him than perhaps he's had to need to show recently. Um, and I think it will be interesting to see how that blossoms. Yeah, I, I think it's also about how, how Paige utilises him. I, I think if we're expecting him to do all this mad running around like he did in the World Cup, it's not going to get the best out of him. I think he needs to be pushed a little bit further on and supported behind him so he doesn't need to do as much running. And um, and and that's all part of you know the big decisions that Paige has got to make now moving forward. I think he's all of a sudden... You know, you've got to fill one Gareth Bale-shaped hole. Well, that's almost impossible. Now you've got to do it with Joe Allen as well. And and if we're honest, <clears throat> midfield is not an area that we're particularly blessed with depth or an experience. I mean, I know there's some good younger lads coming through, but I think this also improves the or builds on the emphasis that Ethan Ampadu will probably have to play in midfield for a little bit longer for now. Um, Joe Morell yeah. is has been great for us, but you can't hide from the fact that he's a League One player um, in in name at least, if if not in in ability. But you know. I, I do think all of a sudden now the decisions that Rob Page has got to make are getting harder and bigger because we now need to find a system that gets the best out of Brennan Johnson because he's going to be, I think, our next big name. I think it needs to utilise the qualities of Nico Williams, but it's also got to make sure that Aaron Ramsey can still play a, a key part in it in that kind of number eight, number 10 role without asking him to do too much running. And all of a sudden that his, ta- you know, Rob Page's task has got harder and and I and I wonder if you know whatever decision he was going to make about planning a shape and and, and patterns of play and whatever for the future have, have also got a bit more difficult. Well, they've definitely got more difficult, but I wonder if this also changes that as well. You see, I'm not so sure it does make it more difficult. I think it, I think it, I don't think it makes it more difficult from a decision point of view. I think it might make it more difficult to execute. Um, I think. Your shape and your schemes should be above the absence of a particular player. I think that's one of the things we've suffered from at times is that we've been too reliant on individuals and lately at least too reliant on individuals and not enough on a a sort of mantra for the team as a whole. So I'm not sure that this is necessarily going to change where we were headed because I think... 
I think the intention is to bring bring the young players through. Um, the, the latest interview I saw with Paige, I was a bit concerned that Shauna David was pushing about, like, you know, what's what's the what's the plan? And all Paige would share, all Paige would share was that it was aimed at sort of bringing the youngsters through. And I'm hoping it was a bit amorphous because he didn't want to say something too publicly. But I didn't really like sort of amorphous nature of it. But that aside, assuming that there's a plan and a shape and a scheme that we want to work to, I'm not sure that the losing Joe makes that harder to decide what it is. I think it just might make it harder to pull it off. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying, but I, I disagree in the sense that I think you, you, our midfield depth is lacking. And I think having someone, exper- having someone experienced like Joe in there makes a difference, especially when you're looking at like that boy from Birmingham, Jordan James, coming through. Having someone he can work alongside like Joe Allen, I think would be great and important. And I also think it changes our defensive shape because I think Ethan Ampadu has to play into midfield now as, a, as you know, guaranteed, basically. So I, I, I think... And I agree principally with what you're saying. We're not reliant on brilliance, and I think I still I still think that. But what I mean by the building things around people like Brennan Johnson is, I think we can do that in a way which utilizes him to his biggest strengths. And yes, that system has to work with and around other people as well. But I think we also have to be realistic that Brennan Johnson, Luke Harris, people like that, they, they are going to be the, hopefully the future of this team. And I think we need to do something in a similar way that Coleman did um, around Bale to kind of utilise those strengths and, and get the best out of them. And I, I appreciate that that needs to include the younger players, but that is going to be the difficult balance really there, isn't it? Making sure that this system works for the younger players, gets the best out of Johnson and still can utilise people like Aaron Ramsey as and when it can so that we have an identity. Because what I don't want us to do is become just solely pragmatic in this next campaign see it see it out almost in the hope that we can just nick a couple of one nillers and and somehow scrape through and then all you've done is kick the problem down the road a little bit I think we need to be a bit more kind of creative with how we set up and what our style of play is going to be but have those things being set and clear as well yeah I mean we've talked about that haven't we this idea that we've got to evolve as opposed to just kind of I feel like we've been stumbling forward we have been going forward but we've been kind of stumbling forward now we've got to sort of actually sort of consciously push and evolve and decide who we are and where we're going. And I agree. I think that that's just easier with experienced players because you, they've got a, a kind of um, file cabinet of things they can, they can lean on. And I think yeah. when you're asking younger players to do it, they just haven't got that, that sort of background of, of, a sort of background of things they can lean on. Um, so I, I think that's, I think that's why we might be differing in our, in our thinking, Dave, is I'm, I'm, I'm just not sure it particularly affects what we want to do. I just think it might affect how much you can expect the players to deliver within that, what we want to do because of their inexperience. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I see, I see what you're saying. Um, Let's try and move this on slightly. Um, obviously, a, a good opportunity for us to experiment with these new things are going to be some of the upcoming games. We can't do too ex- too much experimenting. Sorry, in the in the qualifiers, of course. But obviously, we have a game against Gibraltar that has been announced in October. Uh, no location for the game yet, but it's just around the time that we will play Croatia at home as well. Um, 
I think if we're looking about blood in youngsters, Ruth, I think this is the perfect sort of game to do that, right? Yeah, I mean, when you know you've got Croatia at home in the same window, you want to you create a, a friendly that's... It's there really for the for the young and the undercapped and the uncapped players, isn't it? You, we, I don't think we'll see uh, many of our starting eleven. What would be the Croatia game starting eleven really running out in that game? Yeah. Um, I think when it um, when you've got to have these friendlies, you might as well try and make them as purposeful as possible. And yes, it would be it would be great to playing. I don't know Italy or Holland or somewhere. But then it's very difficult to put out your B team against those sorts of teams, isn't it? So whilst, I mean, I think you can raise an eyebrow at the level of the opposition, I think for the purpose it's going to serve, which is basically just a run around for the kind of person 16 to 18 in your squad list um, ahead of the Croatia game. Um, I think it serves that purpose very well. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, that has got to be a chance where we give young players a chance to, to, to put on that shirt and um, and have a go. We, we ran a poll uh, about where this, this game should be played over, overwhelmingly uh, from the people who voted. 81% of them voted uh, that they would like to see this game in Wrexham. I think that would be a great opportunity, uh, especially if... For example, we are going to look at other people, uh, someone like Paul Mullin, who's a conversation for another day. But, if, you know, if someone's going to be looked at at international level, no no better place than his home ground to do that as well. So I, I wonder if that might also play into it. Plus, of course, obviously all the, uh, the publicity that Wrexham is getting at the minute, I think also having a game there would probably boost the popularity of this game, given that Gibraltar aren't exactly... Uh, with all due respect, a huge draw. So um, I, I think that will be that will be an interesting one. Um, I wondered though. Something else. Go on. The, the wider point, Dave. I think with the change in the the introduction of the Nations League, it's made it harder for 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 teams like Gibraltar to have friendlies against in inverted commas bigger teams. And I do think there's an there's a sort of um, onus on the wider UEFA community to help the Gibraltars of the world get friendlies against bigger teams. And I don't like necessarily describing us in that sense. But I think it's important that these these smaller teams are not left without opportunities to play friendlies against um, what you might think of as tougher competition. I, I agree with the Nations League. I think in the, in the broad sense, it's been really helpful. And I think, you know, the fact that countries like Gibraltar can play against teams who are of a similar standard is actually really helpful. But I also think there's an onus to make sure that that isn't the extent of the games that they're playing, that they get an opportunity to, to aim higher as well. I don't know. Are they going to get those opportunities in the qualifiers themselves? I, I, I... Yeah, uh, oh. It's not friendly at that point, is it? Like they may have things they want to experiment. Well, well. I, 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 think, I think to be realistic, though, it, it is a friendly. I mean, I mean, I don't think many of the Gibraltar players are going into games against France or Germany against Spain or whatever, thinking we're in with a sniff here. Like to all intents and purposes, I, I'm, I'm like, I think in the grand scheme of it, I, I think that the Nations League is actually you know, is fantastic for these, you know, it's almost more beneficial for these sort of teams than it is the bigger teams, actually. But I think, you know, I don't, I think there's got to be beneficial for both sides, right? And I think 
Gibraltar playing France in a friendly is, is a lovely story, but I don't think it actually benefits France in any way. It, it does have to be beneficial for both sides. I think that looking at this, that was actually something I was going to mention here, is that my, I, I wonder if there's actually even ultimately a value for us blooding youngsters in this game because, yes, they're getting international experience, but they're getting international experience against a team like Gibraltar, which is probably not, well, not probably, definitely isn't representative of the level that we want to be at. And if we want to see if Jordan James or Luke Harris or whoever is going to be good enough against international standard players, is 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 that going to be demonstrated in this game? No, but you can you can have the experience, can't you? You can be at a you know a full a full race course. I'm not quite sure if the cop will be finished by then. I, I think it probably will be. So you'll be up about fifteen thousand. Um, the process of being a part of the playing squad as opposed to part of the, the wider support squad. I think all of that is important. Um, you know, like you say, I think it'll be about seeing who can slot into a system more than seeing who can take a game by the scruff of the neck sort of situation. Yeah, I mean, that, that much is true. And, I, I, you know, I, I think the Toshak system worked because the Wales players who've now given us a, a fantastic few years of they were playing against the big names. They were playing against the big teams and that kind of drags your level up a little bit to an extent, whereas I'm not, I'm not really sure this does. Um, I, I agree that it would be great to to see it played at Wrexham. I think that's important that the the FAW kind of move these games about. But equally, I think in the future moving forward, it's important that these smaller friendlies, that, you know, like the Trinidad one was not so long ago, and I think New Zealand in the, in the early 2000s, which was the previous game, these kind of smaller games aren't the only things that are played in Wrexham. It's important to, to have maybe some of the Nations League games or something like that played there as well, so that um, this, the moving around of the games is genuine. Um, I, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's good that we've got these games. I think now might be a good time, Ruth, for us to, uh, to look at how the, the qualifying and everything else has changed because um, UEFA have announced today that, or yesterday, sorry, that there'll be a new format for uh, the UEFA men's qualifying for the Nations League as well and how this will work after Euro 2004. Um, it, uh, tw- 2024, sorry, not 2004. Um, I, I think in principle, I don't want to go into this too deep, Ruth, because it's frankly uncomprehensible, but I, I do think the big thing is that this looks to me in first instance that the Nations League, which will now be expanded to have a playoff round, it will have promotion and relegation playoffs. I do think that this looks to serve the the bigger teams more than it does everyone else because now it's harder to get relegated from the top division um, there's also more games where the big teams if you like will be playing one another home and away quarterfinals um, and then a final four tournament uh, and then obviously the final so there's more chance for teams you know to, to have these big games on a more regular basis and it keeps you know, you know other teams you know England for example you know have just got relegated that it will be harder to happen in the future so I, I do feel like this is just a way now to kind of consolidate the the big names at the top and, and I feel like it's a shame actually because that's what I felt like the Nation League wasn't really there for it was there to, to make a genuine ladder and it was it was it was there for you know creating fair opportunities for people to to play one another so I'm I'm, I'm a bit disappointed in it myself I've got to be honest I just think it overcomplicates an already complicated system. Um, I think the fact that they keep changing it at every iteration of the Nations League isn't helping. Yeah, true. Uh, 
even if we could just have two or three of them that are the same, it would it would help people get involved and understand what's going on. Um, I agree with you. I think this is about more games for the big boys, as it were. And yeah. um, sorry, that's not fair. It doesn't it doesn't mean more games overall. It just means more games where they will be playing each other. Yeah. Um, so I I I I'm with you. I think that's just you know on the inside helping people on the inside um one of the things that did concern me was the change to the status of the second place teams in the qualifiers for the Euros. so excuse me moving away from the changes to the nation's league they're also making changes to the qualifying rounds for the euros and obviously what's happening for germany in 24 is set up and that's going to apply across this, this these coming games but once we get the the side of 2024, the, this new round of qualifications means that if you're in second place in your group, you don't necessarily qualify for the Euros. And we know how important that's been for us in terms of getting that place. And what I haven't been able to find, and I'm sure it's out there somewhere, but I can't find anything that's comprehensible, is who would qualify directly and who would end up in playoffs if they finish second. Yeah, that's that was the main thing for us. I, again, I put this out, and a lot of people. I actually was quite surprised. I put this out on a Twitter poll, and thirty-two uh, percent of people thought these changes were good, which I was really surprised by. I did ask why, and no one told me a why, which has frankly annoyed me. If you answered that to that poll, twenty-two um, percent <laughs> um, said it was bad. Forty-six percent said they were indifferent. Uh, I'm just intrigued why, but anyway. Um, the, the the main kind of changes, if you like, as you've said there, are that if you win your group, you're guaranteed to go through. If you come second, you will either go into the qualifiers directly, or you'll either qualify directly, sorry, or participate in a playoff match. Um, it, it's not clear how that happens. Groups will now be four or five teams rather than what they are, five or six. There'll be 12 groups, so obviously 12 people automatically qualify. Uh, I, I would imagine that this will be a fairly complicated thing um, whereas if you, you know, as it is now, where if you win your league, you're guaranteed some kind of uh, playoff for, for the Euros. So I would imagine it'll be something like the best eight teams will, the best second placed, the eight best second placed teams, God and live, this is annoying, um, <laughs> um, and uh, will qualify by rights and then the other four will go into uh four rounds of playoffs with people from the Nations League winning groups um, if they haven't already qualified blah 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 to create eight which becomes four again in the end so this is this is the one that annoys me most is because if you've got to if you're making 12 groups first and second qualified by rights end of conversation you've you've yeah. you've, you've tra- it's like as if you've tried to do something good and then ballsed it up within five seconds yeah. of... I mean, it's madness. And, and again, as I say, this is not entirely clear what's happened yet um, in terms of the specifics. So, you know, it, there's obviously still some stuff to be decided, but it's just such a shame because we've, you know... I, I think the principle of what the Nations League was was really effective and promising and genuine, and now it just seems a bit false and, and, and a bit shit again. It's almost like we're making a, an almost Champions League internationally um, which, which, I th- which I think is a shame. And I think doing this for the European qualifiers defeats the object of the exercise of having the 24 teams and expanding it because now all you're doing is you're guaranteeing as many pathways for as many of the big teams going through as you can, um, which seems a real shame to me. But there you go. I, I think um, 
it's it's a real frustration that these things keep changing and as you said being tweaked with no kind of huge plausible benefit they kept the, the two systems apart i mean i know it was useful to us to have the insurance of that that potential playoff spot through the nation's league place when we were promoted from b to a and i know that was helpful but i think it would just be better if you kept the two things separate let the nation's league run as it does yeah. you know in whatever format that but that's a competition and then just have the european qualifiers as a competition and as you say there's a simple solution there if you've got 12 groups take the take the first 12 take the second 12 done sorted everybody knows where they stand yeah. I mean, we had we had a with the women's i can't remember which competition it was where there was something weird like this wasn't it where some of the second places went through and some went to playoffs yeah. and it was just it it ended up being decided by the most arbitrary of things didn't it and i i, I it i just i think at the time when international football is getting complicated enough anyway why look to make things more complicated no i I, i'm in total agreement and i think what you're talking about there was there we had like the intercontinental playoffs didn't they for the women's world cup um so even if wales had beaten switzerland they would have had to have go into some other comedy tournament which you needed a a physics degree to work out how it worked which is probably helpful to you to be fair but um it was it was just it wasn't enough enough to follow it (laughs) yeah exactly ridiculous um we've mentioned the women's game there so we will move on and talk about the upcoming pinatar cup the women's team are playing out in pinatar they're playing the philippines iceland and scotland uh, like a little round robin tournament the person who wins the group wins the tournament. Uh, the opening game is against the Philippines on the 15th, Iceland on the 18th, and Scotland on the 21st. Um, important games, I would say, for Gemma Granger, Ruth. Yeah, I think it's 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 important that we kind of pick up some positive momentum, isn't it, after, after the Switzerland game? A hundred percent. I mean, after that match, there was a lot of chat about being braver on the ball and wanting to go back to the style, if you like, that had kind of caught the eye so much when 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 Gemma came in. And, you know, I, I think back to that friendly, I think it was against Denmark where we drew 1-1 and, and played really, really well and got after them and used the ball well. And all of a sudden that kind of seemed to dissipate as the, as the campaign went on. We, we tried to become a bit more pragmatic. We didn't get after teams so much. And I think Gemma Granger mentioned after those after that game that she kind of regretted that she went back on what her principles were and what she wanted to do. And I think she's keen to, to right those wrongs as these as this campaign starts. So I think it's important for her to do that. Yeah. I mean, the first game against the Philippines, I think they're ranked 53rd in the world, their highest ever place in the rankings, as it happens. Um, so that'll be the game where I would say we need to kind of go out and... Uh, and if we're going to try new things, that's the best. That's the best time to do that. But obviously, Iceland and Scotland are going to be tough games. I think we're. I think we're thirty second in the world. Scott, Iceland is sixteenth. Scotland twenty fifth. So uh, similar to our level. I think Iceland are also a perfect example of where the Wales women's football team kind of wants and needs to be as well. Yeah. No, I think those are going to be obviously tougher tests than the Philippines game. And um, I think the. The fact that the games are like it's three days and three days apart, I think that also sort of puts an onus on the on the players um, in terms of you know being fit and fit enough to to carry that off, particularly building to the sort of Iceland and Scotland games. Um, as you say, Iceland are you know solidly in, ranked in the teens uh, recently uh, by FIFA. And I think that they in particular will be a tough opponent. We've shown we can go toe to toe with the Scots recently. 
Um, but I think Iceland in particular will be a will be a challenge. Absolutely. I mean, I know with the, the games, the qualifiers start in April, I think. So it's important that if we are going to have this uh, or re-implement this style that we had, we'd used before, I think it's really important that we kind of get back to that. And these three games are a perfect opportunity for us to do so. So I think this is a this is a classic case of where the outcome is nowhere near as important as uh, as how we get there, I think. Yeah, no, that, that's a fair point. Yeah. Um, whilst... Uh, yeah, good luck uh, to the to the women's team for that. I hope those goes well. We'll be having some kind of uh, a report. Uh, what's the, what do I mean? Review. Sorry, uh, after those games, hopefully we can. Hopefully they'll be on YouTube as as they sometimes are. I know a few people are going out to uh, to watch them. I've seen that on uh, on Twitter. So uh, yeah, good luck and enjoy the trip to anyone who's going to that. Now speaking of an away trip, my links between things have been seamless tonight. Um, uh, to uh, this week. Uh, Turkey away has been being announced in Samsun, uh, which is almost nine hours from Istanbul by car. I saw a lot of people on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook talking about this not being helpful in terms uh, of getting around the place. Obviously, it makes it more expensive to get to these places. Um, I'm just kind of interested in your take because financially speaking, obviously, I understand the point. You know, it's, it's more expensive to get to Istanbul and then another, I think it's an hour and a quarter's flight onto Samsun. Um you know, I understand the cost of that, but this is their advantage to take, right? You know, Turkey aren't looking to do Wales away fans a favour. They're they're trying to qualify and climb the rankings again as the fourth ranked team in our group. So they've got to make make the most of the advantages where they can get them. So I, I think it's a it's a bit much. People complaining about where the game is, or am I just being uh, old fashioned? Um, I think it depends how you slice this up. I think um, my view is it's entirely in Turkey's remit to have the game exactly where they want. Um, I think we're we're relatively unusual in that we play all our competitive games at, at a stadium and so any any away fans coming to our games know immediately they're going to well for competitive games at least they know they're going to be coming to Cardiff. Um, but in other countries that's not the case and I don't think we can expect um, any country to you know, hold a fixture where it suits 2,000 away fans. That's just that's just not appropriate. We wouldn't reciprocate if the roles were reversed. What I do understand is is people being angry about the 120-day rule. I think the fact that um, you get information about the games, when was the draw? December? No, yeah. kind of thing. Anyway, when was, whenever the draw was. And people want to react and they want to get flights while they can and they want to try and book accommodation while they can. And I can understand why why people feel that they need to jump in and get flights booked at that point and then actually don't know where they're going to until 120 days before the, before the fixture. So I think the, the window here I think is what's not helpful not particularly the fact that the Turks have a choice but the fact that it can be as late as 120 days before the fixture I think yeah you're right and I think if it was expanded to you know 150 day rule I think that'd be helpful but I will say that I mean it's still the thick end of four months you're giving people to find a way somewhere I I don't think that's outrageous you know I've booked trips at a you know in a month's notice, I think four months is still plenty of time to figure out. I, I, I recognise that it becomes more expensive and all these other things. I do understand that. And there's a financial crisis on, and I do understand that. 
But in principle, I, I got a reply from Stephen, I think, on Twitter, who just said, like, I, I think it's a bit much for people to be complaining about how ridiculous these things are. I think it's equally ridiculous traveling across the Europe to watch 11 people kick a ball about and then come home again, which is also a valid point. I, I think the whole the thing about Wales away is that it is ridiculous. I, I don't I think that's the point. Um, and I think half of the challenge and half of the fun is getting to weird places and not that I'm calling Samson weird, I've never been, but um, get into these unusual places or places you would never normally visit. I think that's part of the appeal and the fun, certainly as far as I'm concerned. Um, and the, you know, if we, I mean, because if, if we're, you know, picking holes in things, there'll be people booking flights out to this. Like I'm, I've booked to go to Split um, uh, via Vienna or uh, I think that's right. A home via somewhere else. I can't even remember where now, but we've done all that. The, the you know, the, the location was announced a couple of months ago that, the ticket deal only got announced today. <laughs> so there will have been people who's booked their flights and everything else and not knowing they're going to get tickets for the game. Like it's about going away with your mates. And, and if you can get to the match, then obviously that's great. And that's what everyone wants to do. But I, for me, I just think of all the things to be moaning about at the minute, having to get a, you know, go to a place in Turkey you've never been before I, or wherever, I, I just think is a bit is a bit daft. And like I say, I understand the money thing. I understand the 120-day rule could be better. But even if they made it a 150-day rule, it's then five months instead of four. Is it that making that much difference to you? I don't know. The only th- thing I, I would say that would be more helpful is that in the, 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 the window, if you like, that countries have got to announce their locations after the draw if that window is smaller then i think that would be helpful mm-hmm. but again then you're relying on huge you know looking into the future a long way and where stadiums are and are things going to change and you know there's all sorts of things that can complicate that so i i don't know there's no there's no good system i think the other thing that is worth pointing out here is i think relatively speaking in the last few qualifiers with the odd exception I think we've been quite fortunate in terms of the places we've had to go to or, you know, been asked to go to. For example, when we went to Belgium, that was in Brussels. We went to uh, Czech Republic, that was in Prague. We went to the Netherlands, that's in Rotterdam. And, you know, the Netherlands is a tiny place. You can fly in and out of Rotterdam. It's got its own airport. It's 45 minutes on the train from Amsterdam. Um you know, everything is, is kind of been easily accessible. We went to Estonia, we went to Tallinn. So a lot of these places have been easy easy enough trips and it's not always been that way. And, you know, going to Osijek in Croatia um, for the start of the 2020 campaign, uh, you know, is an example of somewhere that's a bit more harder to get, but people got their way there. It's, you know, that I, for me, that's, that's part of the fun. I've spoken a lot now, so I'm going to shut up and I'm sure you're going to disagree with me somewhere along the line. No, I, I think that, I think the issue here is not so much the, the principle of the location. It's the gap between when the fixtures are announced and when the country has to commit to the location. I think that just leaves leaves such a such a long period of time. People are not going to sit on their hands and not get things booked, but they're booking into the unknown. Um, I, I think they just there just needs to be some commitment to shortening that window between the announced fixtures and the location the thing is i i i, I don't know i still feel like four months is more than enough time to, to plan a trip i would also add to that that you know this this game against turkey now what, what's the date today it's something like the 7th i think of february is is on the 10th of june like 
there'll be people who haven't booked their summer holidays, <laughs> in, you know, before now. So, you know, I still think there's plenty of time. I also think if you get countries to commit to things that are 18 months in advance, there's so many things that can go wrong and change in that time period that then you'll get the issue where people are committing to things that you know are maybe even two years in advance and then last minute something has to change and they have to move the location because obviously you can't commit to something that was two years ahead of time and and I think you're just left with a different problem so when I say that's there's an imperfect system I think that's that's kind of what I mean I guess but it is what it is And, and I think at the end of the day you know if you don't enjoy all the stuff that goes with this just don't go. If you're stressed out by booking your travel and whatever, like, just don't do it. Do something else. Like, that, to me, that's part of the fun of it. And I sound like a grumpy old man there, but I do think that I do think that's true. And I think I do think people like moaning about something for the sake of having something to moan about. Um, <laughs> uh, but, I, but anyway, uh, let's move on. Whilst I'm not, uh, whilst I've finished having a tantrum, we got. Uh, Two more things to mention. We're going to be close to the hour mark again, Ruth, which is nothing short of remarkable. Um, in the transfer window, we had four kind of key transfers. Uh, Zorba Thomas went to Blackburn. Charlie Savage went on loan to Forest Green Rovers for Man United. Kem Campbell left Wolves to go to Wickham. And Nathan Broadhead left Everton to go to Ipswich. Um, are there any of those kind of transfers that jump out at you, Ruth? Um, as I mentioned on the last pod, I think, I found the Broadhead one interesting. It's actually the only permanent move out of those four that you for you mentioned. Um, I think he's probably got to an age now. I think he's 24, if I remember right. He's got to an age now where he needs to be playing regularly. He can't kind of keep ticking over in, in you know, Everton uh, B teams. So I think, that, I think that was an interesting move. And then... Um, I suppose, I suppose the surprise was the Sorba Thomas move. Um, it's a loan to Blackburn, but it's it's interesting that Hazardsfield felt they could do that. I think I think it's just a, it's unexpected. I, I don't know if you've read more about their motivation for that change. I think from what I gathered, I think it was him that wanted a change of scenery and, and wanted wanted something new. And he, he played last night in front of Rob Page. Or was it last night? Or two nights ago in front of Rob Page. Uh, and, and apparently did very well and, and had some great stats um, on, the, on the night as well. So that's, that's promising. Um, I think it's important that, you know, I think he is someone who might grow in importance now as, as, as things kind of carry on with with potential player retirements and whatnot so i think it's important that he's playing regularly and, and is keeping himself in contention um the one i found really interesting was the kem campbell one to be honest um he mentioned against having a call up to the under 21s recently because he wanted to be part of the the wolves first team squad um and then gets loaned out to i think league one wickham so you know that is not a move which represents wanting to embed yourself as part of um of the Premier League squad, but there you are. What do I know? Um, I, I think he's someone who's obviously a very talented player and has got enough going for him. And I think he's biding his time regards his, his call-ups for us. I think if we're looking at, you know, going back briefly to that Gibraltar friendly, for me, that would be a perfect time to have a look at someone like Kem Campbell and, and test his commitment, if you like, and, and see how much he really does want to play for Wales, because it just seems a bold statement to be saying, I want to concentrate on my time at Wolves and get into the first team squad and then, and then drop down two divisions thereafter. I think he's probably reached a point where some regular play is important, a bit like I was saying with Broadhead, and you know, a few months at Wickham won't hurt, and you know, and then look to be perhaps more in Wolves' thinking for next season. Uh, I think at this point, for our purposes, him playing regularly is probably more important. I haven't got a problem with it being 
the lower leagues particularly if we can if we can see what he can do on a regular basis. Yeah, like I said, it's no, I have no problem with it. It's good for him, as you say, to be making that move. It's just, it's just an odd one, given what he said uh, a couple of months ago. But there you go. Um, you know, all the best to him. I hope, I hope he does come in and and, and has a, a prominent role for Wickham, and I hope that he can, you know, and he does turn out for Wales and and show what you know, uh, deliver on that promise that he's been showing. Um, finally, the uh, the exciting news that we were all waiting for. What is Gareth Bale going to do next in his career? It turns out he's going to be class at golf. Um, he, um, he came 16th in the Pebble Beach Pro-Am. Uh, they couldn't play the final round on the main Pebble Beach links course, unfortunately, because of high wind. Um, but still, coming 16th in that Pro-Am is pretty impressive. There was a great video, I don't know if you saw, Ruth, of him uh, kind of being bantered with some of the... Uh, bantering about, sorry, with some of the with the USA commentators, uh, the US commentators there, and, uh, and hitting a, a fantastic shot in the hole-in-one competition where the ball kind of like spins back on the green. It, it lands about eight feet from the pin and spins back back and um, we were just thought, like bloody hell <laughs> you really are quite good at right quite a lot of things aren't you mate yeah i did see that as it happened and uh you know some of his some of his other sort of um, there was one sort of uh pitch pitch and part that was was particularly good wasn't it where it kind of zipped up the bank oh, um, and onto the green the bank. yes 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I, I quite, I rather enjoyed the uh, the commentary from the I don't know, golf network or whoever were were kind of um, pulling his leg on on the tee and 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 his reaction and you know what uh, uh, Joseph Bramler, his his pro playing partner, had to say about his game. It was just lovely to see him having fun. I think that's that's you know we're not we're not going to see him having fun on the football field any anymore. But he's so important to us. It's lovely to see him. Having having fun in his in his wider life, and he, he clearly loves his golf. And I think I think we're going to see more of him doing these sorts of events. Absolutely, I hope so, and, and more power to him. Um, as I say, my offer from the previous pod remains. If he does want a couple of rounds, there's some lovely courses around me here in the Netherlands, uh, and I'm happily happy to go down Cottrell Park uh, when I get back to Wales if he fancies it. Um, have you got anything else that you wanted to add, Ruth? No, no, I think we're. Uh... Uh, there's some interesting fixtures that the under-21s have, have got in their group coming up, uh, but, that, but that's not till June, so I think we'll leave that for, leave that for now. But, uh, nope, I think an hour's more than enough. I know you've got something you want to talk about there. Yeah, I, I do. Um, just yeah, just uh, first of all, thanks everyone for listening. Massively we appreciate it. Don't forget to follow us Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, uh, support us at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Coleman's Dream and go to bagsybags.com for, uh, and use Chad10 uh, for 10% off. Um, yeah, just one thing I wanted to, to finish off with today. Um, we often talk about how football is, is more than just going to the football and the, the wider stuff is the important stuff. And I mentioned earlier how, you know, how, how Joe Allen made me feel. I think how you feel when you go to a football match is is, is really important because it is often more about the football, uh, less about the football, sorry, and more about the stuff that goes around it. Um, I got a text uh, over the over the weekend off my uh, off my uncle to say that his his best pal Dempsey uh, Tony had unfortunately passed away. He was uh, very much a larger than life character. He was uh, a very very funny bloke. Loved to be a loved to laugh. Loved his football and. Um, yeah, he, he'd be sadly missed. He was he was a relatively young bloke, and and it's uh, it's a shame, really. I, I I mention it here because um, 
I went. I had one of my first what I call proper football experiences with my uncle, and uh, and Dempsey was there that day, um, going to watch Man City play at the Old Main Road in uh, against Birmingham City in a what would now be a, a championship match. Uh, Man City won one nil, and I, I remember that, and I remember the noise of the Kipak stand, and it was a, it was a great day out. But um, the thing for me was about what happened before. I'd never really done that. I was about sixteen, and uh, went to this terrifying pub um near near main road and my abiding two memories of that are walking in there and seeing a bloke who had a complete skinhead uh, with a massive man city emblem tattooed across the whole of the back of his head and he looked like a terrifying human and uh, and uh, i remember my, my uncle and dempsey bought me uh, a pint of fosters and uh, whilst i wouldn't go near a pint of fosters now at the time at you know age 16 or whatever i was i felt like i was absolute king of the world sat there having having a pint of fosters before the match and uh, and enjoying um, enjoying the chat and enjoying the banter and having a bit of a laugh and then going to the match and, and going back to going back to my grandma's after the match in Rochdale and uh, those sort of memories are the things that you love about football right you know you want to you want to go watch the match you want your team to win but often the big part of it is by going away and having having fun with your friends and you go on the trip we were talking about Wales away there and the reason you do that is to go on your trips with your mates and and go to exciting places and fun places and have stories to tell and songs to sing and very often the football match in the middle is is often an inconvenience from the fun you've been having so um I just wanted to mention Tony because he was a great guy and um I think it is a reminder really about what football is all about it's important to uh, for your team to win but it's also important to have a, a good time with your friends and uh, and cherish those moments because yeah they won't be around forever that's a, a morbid way to end I appreciate but uh, yeah I think it's important that we say that and I just wanted to mention Tony uh, on the podcast uh, so there you are um thank you very much for listening Ruth I don't know if you have anything else before we go No just um thinking of the good times that we have around football and they're always about the people aren't they they're always about the people exactly it's always about the stories and uh, if you can remember the result afterwards then uh, that's an added bonus as far as I'm concerned and that is what I'm sure Dempsey would very much agree with that one anyway uh, thank you very much for listening ladies and gents we appreciate having you along Uh, we'll be back again in a couple of weeks time hopefully to talk about the women's games uh, in the Pinatar Cup and uh, hopefully no one else will retire before we speak to you again so thank you very much for listening and thank you for your time Ruth You're, you're welcome take care Bye-bye. Bye-bye.